Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast. I'm back solo again because Brian uh, got super delayed trying to get back in from Mexico. And it's just been a chaotic day and it's a late night. So I'm just going to start off at the top by saying we're super excited to give you guys this episode with a really good discussion that we did off stream. But just a trigger warning uh, to some of you, there's a lot of heavy discussions about drugs, addiction, um, some messages of suicide and depression. So if that's stuff that is a little sensitive to you right now, definitely take care of yourself. Take a break. We'll be back uh, next Monday with another episode. Um, but going forward with that, you can still hang out with us on Twitter at X Emo Social Club X and on TikTok too. Um, we're posting stuff um, probably relatively regularly, two to three times a week on over there. I guess you can go like us on Facebook. Again, we're not real over there, but just hit us up on Instagram or Twitter. You'll talk to one of us, and it'll be a good time. Also, we have merch. Make sure to head over to emosocialclub.com slash store. Pick up something. We'll send it on out. You'll have a good time. You'll look real cool for summer and for your festival excursions. Well, we're just going to jump on straight into this episode, and then we'll check you later in a bit. So enjoy our discussion with author, producer, and music journalist, Mike Hennenberger. Welcome to the Emo Social Club podcast, broadcasting to you live or just recorded from emosocialclub.tv. I am Brian. And I'm Lizzie, and we're here this evening with Mike Hennenberger, who is Emmy Award-winning producer, has worked with Comedy Central, Vice, and a plethora of other media and is the author of the new book, Rock Bottom at the Renaissance. Thank you so much for being here, Mike, with us. This no, is crazy. I'm stoked. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. I'm excited. It is the first question on our list. A first question on the sheet that, that was Lizzie a wrote note for us. For, that it was, was a, a note, note for us. But I also want to acknowledge us, <laughs> I want to acknowledge the note. I want to acknowledge that it's it's a question, but it's also a statement. Uh bruh, why is this man talking to us? <laughs> Because we feel very like your 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 experience is just like crazy to us, you know, like to work on these shows, to work in this and be an Emmy winning producer, like all that. We're like, what? Why? We are just we're just two random little kids from the Chicago suburbs. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, like I, I feel the same way. I feel like I'm or I still feel like I'm a random like punk emo kid, you know, and um, I I was gonna say i mean i'm i'm i'll be 39 in november so it's like i've had a lot of time to do stuff if you actually think about it i'm probably under accomplished for my age because hmm. i like didn't get my shit together till like my <laughs> 30s so um i mean i like i i did some cool stuff when i was a kid but then i kind of just like blew my 20s and so um but uh, I've never felt old because I've I've done a lot of because of the cool things that I've done. Uh, I feel like, you know, I I have I have enough going on, or I've done enough for my age sometimes. But I think most people who are normal, healthy adults that were on like the right path to be an adult would probably say that guy is not that accomplished. <laughs> um, 
so like i just kind of like like hit turbo in my 30s and just started working my ass off to like do cool things uh, and get my life together so once i started doing that things kind of started working out i guess yeah but no i just like i said i feel like i'm i feel like i'm just a, a i always call myself like just the punk kid and even working at some of these like corporate places i often vent to my friends that i'm just a punk kid and i can't handle corporate <laughs> jobs so uh so yeah man i'm i'm here because i you're my people like i love just talking <laughs> to people about music and just hanging out with people who like the same things i like for sure i i, I mean we obviously feel the same as well because it's just like we we've been very lucky with this podcast to talk to very nice people from all different experiences, different age ranges, different uh, backgrounds and all that. And I've never felt more about like the scene and music and all that, um, that, that everyone is on their own journey. Everyone is having their own experience with, with their life. And like, especially in music, it's a little bit of like, I want to be a kid forever. I want that Peter Pan experience and yeah for a lot of people it was like ah shit there's something i have to do to like make money you know in my future but i'll worry about that yeah. later and then everybody's kind of goes on this whole journey and it's like you know what that's their journey and that's that's everyone's journey probably in the uh in the music industry yeah no and i think that's kind of like what the what the music is is that you know i i mean for me and and hopefully for a lot of people it's it's not necessarily like i i want to be a kid forever but it's like an anchor you know it can always like it's kind of like something we can always come back to to like feel safe when as we're going on through this journey and trying to progress and trying to grow up um you know that's that's scary sometimes and it's miserable sometimes so that's like our anchor you know it's it, it takes us back to a time where you know and we romanticize it which is like what this book is about too like romanticizing these things because like we loved this stuff when we were kids because we were depressed because we were like sad and like like made breakups bigger than they really were and stuff like that so it's like not that being a kid was like the happiest times of our lives so maybe <laughs> we don't really want to go back there we just romanticize it because like i don't know maybe adult life just sucks too and we just want to pretend that there was a time when things didn't suck i don't know yeah the nostalgia aspect of it all yeah exactly well, in the novel, in the novel, so I listened to the audiobook version of it, which I think is like, I'm not a big audiobooks person. I've like never listened to audiobooks up until this past year, and I think without having that, because it is like that memoir mixtape, that it loses aspects and essence of it. But I am wondering what propelled you to kind of add that element into it and have it as an audio ver book versus having it as like Spotify has like radio shows where they kind of have that also integrated in, but it's obviously a different platform and medium. What was the thought process of like getting that put together? I mean, when I started this book, uh, Spotify didn't even exist. So, um, it, and so they're, they're, I mean, but even besides that, like, uh, cause I started writing this in 2011. So maybe it existed in some form, but we weren't using it then. Um, but honestly, it, it it wasn't a like premeditated thing. It's like for people who have read the book or will read the book, the first chapter starts off with me like leaving work to go to this hotel where I'm going to spend the weekend to try to write this book. And 
I'm listening to my, um, you know, music on my phone and Jimmy World's 23 comes on. And so throughout the first chapter, 23's lyrics pop up. And then that just happened to be like what happened at that moment. And so when I was writing it, I was thinking of the song and the song, I mean, I like literally the first scene in the book of me leaving work to get to the hotel, then I get to the hotel and I wrote down what just happened. And so that's how the music came into that. And then every chapter after that has a song that goes with it. And a lot of those songs, there's like three Bayside songs in there, three Dangerous Summer songs in there, three, two Jimmy Eat World songs in there. Um, and those are just the bands that I listened to when I, you know, was depressed and when I was sad, like I was in this book. And so they were playing as I was writing this book. And um, so that's the case for most of those chapters. I accidentally stumbled upon the formula. Um, I mean, I had written things before as a music journalist. Uh, like I wrote a Warp Tour review where it was kind of just like a, kind of the same format as the book. It was like my experience of being at this particular Warp Tour with this girl that I was dating at the time. And as I would review the bands in this, in this like piece I was writing, I would like pop up their lyrics in the, in the, concert review um so i had done it before so i guess it's kind of like a natural thing that i would do um because i like to as in like my writing experience started as a music journalist and when i would review concerts and stuff i would want people to feel like they were there you know and so to me sometimes that meant stopping what i was saying in the in the story to just play the music or like write the lyrics so the people felt like they were listening to the band too, like standing there at that moment. And so that that was just kind of like a way I a thing I used to do when I wrote. Um, and so that's how it happened with the book. It wasn't something that I was like, oh, I'm going to do this this way. Um, and yeah, once I started, I like I knew it had to be an audiobook at some point. Like I always had this idea that like, oh, it'd be cool. Uh, when I make the audiobook to put the music in it and that was a lot harder than I thought it would be but fortunately like all the bands and labels and stuff let me do it so the music gets to pop up in there and I and now when I listen to the audiobook I'm like this is the way it's meant to be experienced it's it's such a different experience than just reading the book so I, I love the audiobook it's, it's great I it's hard for me to talk about how good it is because it sounds like I'm bragging but <laughs> I'm just like the producer of it with the idea. Like Tyler Posey reads it and does an amazing job. And then all these bands made this music. I didn't make that music. Like it's good because their music's in it and Tyler Posey did a great job. I realize we haven't actually said like what the book is and like kind of given like a little like synopsis of it. Uh, could we just <laughs> say like, <laughs> it's called Rock Bottom at the Renaissance. It's your memoir. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what the book is and, and, and all yeah. that? Yeah, so the full title is Rock Bottom at the Renaissance, an emo kid's journey through falling in and out of love in and with New York City. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who can say it all the way through without bubbling <laughs> over it. And I totally understand that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a memoir I wrote that covers like the first few years that I moved to New York and I that I've lived in New York, which I still do. I've been here for nine years now. Um, and it kind of... There's a lot of flashbacks in it, 
that kind of show how I grew up in South Texas in a small little town, kind of always wanting to get out, always feeling like I needed, like I didn't belong. And kind of because of movies and pop culture, um, thinking like, oh, I got to get to New York or I got to get to LA and watching all these movies and reading books and listening to music that romanticized New York. It was just this like awesome place that I needed to get to. And then when I got here, it was hard because I was alone and I didn't have, I had one friend who wasn't a very good friend. And so I was pretty much alone. And I, I thought like, okay, I moved here to work at Comedy Central and I was like, great, this is like dream job or on the way to a dream job. Um, living in dream city, like everything was complete except I didn't have like a partner. I didn't have a girlfriend or something. So I thought that was the missing piece. Like I was so depressed and I was so broken and knowing that I had been already been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and anxiety disorder, knowing that I had mental illness, but still not wanting to accept that. And so I just kept thinking like, oh, I just need, I'm just, I just feel this way because I don't have someone to love me right now. And so it's this memoir about, you know, me feeling alone and picking the wrong ways to not feel alone. Um, and it's about me struggling with depression and anxiety and picking the wrong ways to treat that depression and anxiety, um, abusing pills and abusing alcohol. Um, and it's about the music that helped me survive that by some miracle. Um, Cause yeah, it's about how that depression and anxiety almost killed me multiple times. Um, and somehow I'm still here. So yeah, it's, it's a dark journey, but um, I think it's a, it's a interesting, at least maybe not fun. Sometimes it's fun. I think it's a fun <laughs> book to read. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you're having a good time not super on yeah. the internet and then other times you're like oh no i'm having a terrible fucking time right now <laughs> yeah yeah it's also a very like i mean i think universal story hearing hearing you like leave a town which is like the pop punk thing to do right and then end up yeah, somewhere sure. else and and hoping that like something else will will help you feel better about your situation and then finding out like nope now i'm just depressed over here instead of depressed over there yeah no, definitely. It's the whole wherever you go, there you are thing. And I mean, now, you know, probably six years later after I, you know, I finished it and then kept kind of tweaking it here and there a little bit. Um, but now I feel much better. I feel so much more mentally healthy. And it's because I started doing the right things to treat my depression and my anxiety. I'm found the right medications to take. I have a therapist that I speak to. I meditate and I exercise and I try to sleep better. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's better than not knowing if you're going to not, you know, if you're going to die in your sleep because you took a bunch of Ambien and washed it down with scotch. <laughs> and yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I feel a lot better these days and I mean, that's kind of why it's out. That's, that's exactly why it's out. Cause you know, it took me getting better to, to be okay with people knowing who I was back then, you know? Dude, this is insane. This is 
I don't have... Bunny, bunny Hills at the ski yeah. resort, the black yeah. triple diamond. Hey club, we just dropped our first episode of our new YouTube series, Spicy Takes, featuring our friend Bo Looters of Harm's Way. We're excited to say that for this series, Chicago-based Soothsayer Hot Sauce is our sponsor. In this episode, we feature their bourbon habanero brews, not beaten hot sauce. Scoop this sauce before it sells out on their site, SoothsayerHotSauce.com. And pick up some other ones, too, to get fully lost in the sauce. Our next guests will include friends like Rematch, OK Cool, Action Adventure, and more to be announced. So make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, too, at YouTube.com slash Emo Social Club. Thanks again to our friends at Soothsayer Hot Sauce. It feels like it's basically like a coming of age novel, but like because it gives me like perks of being a wallflower vibes. But then I also um, I know AJ from The Dangerous Summer did kind of reference it as being like High Fidelity meets Choke by Chuck Palahniuk and Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, yeah. which I'm a huge Chuck Palahniuk fan. And I read Catcher in the Rye <laughs> every single year to see if I hate Holden Caulfield even more or if I or if I vibe with him even more. Checking just in with see. Holden. How, how are you feel? How are you feeling about that? Because I, well, I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> I, I feel like now at 26, uh, I originally read it when I was a junior in high school, and I was ahead of grade, so I think I was like 15 at that point, and I definitely am now like I understand that there is a lot more trauma because I've also been seeing a lot more takes on Holden and like why he acts as he does that I would never have considered in the last like you know like 10 11 years um and that's why wait, he's acting so the way wait, he is but when you say when you say yeah but the, that's like those are people's interpretations though that's right. not like necessarily what so, yeah because like I hated it when I read it I I I also resented that schools were still teaching it like in the in the 90s and in the early 2000s like I had to read it in college too and that's and like that was in two thousands, and I was like, I I still hate that. I still hate that like teachers are too lazy to like find newer versions that are worth new new things that are worth teaching. And it happens, you know, in college film classes too. It's like, why are we still teaching like movies from the seventies? Like I get it, but I mean, there's so much like you can't go out and try to make films based on what was great in the 70s because everybody else after that already did that so like you shouldn't be learning i don't think people should be learning from that anyway i always hated catcher in the rye i <laughs> i i always thought that like um it was like controversial for its time and that's why it was so huge and but then like you're reading it in the 90s and you're like so like what like whatever but maybe i need to read it as an adult i'm 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 curious since you said that like if i'd have a different take on it yeah it's definitely like after i read that quote i was like okay i guess i could kind of see it and then i also got a lot of like the sarcastic attitude as well that like kind of chuck palinuk has in a lot of his stories as well and like just the way that you tell the story like written words obviously tyler posey does the narration and everything but it's like there's a motif and i think the biggest motif that i picked out of it was your cigarettes and how you were like, this is how I get cheap cigarettes. This is how, but I'm not really a smoker. <laughs> and like that, yeah. like that kind of put it all together for me. Like, you know, holding coffee is like, I don't swear. I can see I'm that. better. <laughs> I'm better than everybody yeah. else. <laughs> all right. No, you're the first person who's like made me think like, okay, I finally see 
that comparison because like I'm not a huge reader I've become a bigger reader in the last couple of years but like I had never read any Chuck Palahniuk until AJ said that and I listened to the audiobook of Choke um and you know I've seen Fight Club but I know that that's not like exactly like the book um but uh yeah like I, I don't care. I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be compared to, I've read, I've read some Nick Hornby. I like Nick Hornby a lot. Um, I'm honored to be compared to, you know, him and um, some people compare me to Chuck Klosterman. I've read uh, this book to Chuck Klosterman. I've read some of him too. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, I like, I like, I like that comparison to Holden Caulfield now. And um, I've always, I've always kind of resented the like being lumped in with with that book but that's a great you're right like that makes perfect sense to me <laughs> see i love doing podcasts because i get to talk all this stuff out and mm-hmm. i always learn something new about about the book and normally because i wrote it drunk and high so like i none of it was like like premeditated none of it was like thought out and so i'm still to this day like realizing things about it because now i'm you know not literally sober but now i have a more sober mind to like view it from you know Hmm. it's fun yeah it's like a character (laughs) but it's not oh totally separation but it's also a separation i guess no yeah and that's what i call it i call it i call it the character now because Hmm. it's so far from who i am today um yeah and then especially like i haven't read the book in a while because i've been like working on the audiobook for so long and just hearing tyler read it makes me even more it makes it easier to separate myself from it because now it feels like tyler's story because that's why he did it i mean he did it because he related to the story um and he volunteered his time to do it because he connected with it and so now I listen to him reading it and it's like hearing his story. So that's nice too. Hmm. I was going to ask, but now we know that he was just, <laughs> he volunteered his time for it. He was just ready to go. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you guys seen any of the videos I did with him, but uh, I, I have some videos on my, actually, I don't, well, they're on my YouTube channel. Um, it, Cause I started this video series called rock bottom book club, where I interviewed AJ from the dangerous summer um, and we talk about the book and then I interviewed Tyler and we talk about the book and he said that like when he read it he didn't he didn't know I wanted him to do the audiobook but he was like and his quote is like if you I didn't know if you wanted to do an audiobook a tv show or what but whatever you wanted to do I'm in and so like now I gotta write a tv show of it so Tyler <laughs> will do it but I'm I'm still 10 years later just as scared to write that tv show as Hmm. i will am in the book um of of writing the book Hmm. i don't know so some things have not changed at all (laughs) i also kind of had to look up who tyler posey was because it made me feel old uh oh for sure i'm like wait who is this person and then i was watching something earlier and they mentioned like so OnlyFans is starting a secondary app that is going to be only fan OFTV and it's no adult oh. content, no, uh, no, no adult content at all. It is completely going to be, uh, accessible on Apple TV, on iOS, on Roku, on 
fire tv so like it's going to be an app everybody is going to have access to it and then they're interviewing a lot of people who have made content for only fans but then i heard tyler posey's name in there and i'm like is tyler posey on only fans is that <laughs> oh yeah he is oh yeah, yeah he is <laughs> i mean oh, yeah. <laughs> as i say about everybody like make your money i've th i've talked with lizzie many times about like look i just want to use only fans as patreon because i just don't want to go to patreon and i think you get more attention at this point just using the name only fans uh but now yeah. this OFTV is basically going to be patreon but like they're they're kind of pushing it more towards people like us like podcasters or other types of creators where you can do more like tv stuff so it might yeah, well, it might premiere on we'll, OFTV. We'll, yeah i was gonna say maybe that's where we premiere our show yeah <laughs> i should no but it's funny because like when people when like companies start launching that stuff they start just throwing lots of money at mm -hmm. anything oh, so yeah. like I'll, I'll sell out to only fans i mean they have the money to throw it to throw oh, at it right they, now and they already know how how popular tyler is mm -hmm. um but no, so like I, in that interview I have with Tyler, I tell him that like I Googled hot young Latino actors and that's how I found him. And, and it's true um, because in the book, I, you know, it's not a huge part of the book, but I mentioned how I'm half Mexican. And, um, and so like, I, I want to cast, I, I've, I've, I've always wanted to write TV shows and movies and I've written a bunch of scripts and stuff. And so like that, th this isn't a new thing that happened just because of Tyler in the book. It's always been a goal of mine. Um, and uh, so like, I, I've always had the idea of turning this into a TV show. Um, and I wanted the person who recorded the audiobook to be somebody who'd be, you know, in for the whole ride. And would want to play the role in on the tv show and so i and i wanted them to be latino you know um to because i didn't know how much more that could be how much more of a part that would play in a tv show um but uh and so when i googled that i saw tyler on there and he was the only person i knew or recognized but also like he's definitely of a younger generation he's actually the same age i was when i wrote the book mm -hmm. or at least when we started doing this um and i recognized him because he was on an episode of workaholics at, when mm -hmm. i was the digital when i was a um handled like the social media stuff for that show uh, when i worked at comedy central and so um i remembered his episode and i remembered like him being in it and i was like i looked him up and then i found out that he like dj'd emo night in la and he played in a pop punk band and then i found this video on youtube where he's just talking about like his mental health issues and I was like, holy shit, this is like perfect. Yeah. Um, and then it just so happened that my publicist for the book, uh, Big Picture Media, um, or the PR company, Big Picture Media, uh, I've been friends with the owner of that company for over a decade. And she's she was his band's publicist. And she's also, they're also his current publicist for his music. So she put me in contact with him and let me send him, or he gave her his address so I could send him the book and I sent him the book and then that's when he like just really loved it and now we're here yeah that's really <laughs> like like all the pieces fell into place on that one yeah yeah I mean it's the same thing as like putting the audiobook together in the first place mm -hmm. with the music like you just have to ask and not give up if someone says no I mean I got I got 
a no from one band in the book that that's like a chapter band because there's like songs throughout the book but the i needed this the main chapter songs and one of the band's management said no um and then i just i was just real not like asshole persistent about it but i was like finally going to put it out and i was like hey um this manager was on a podcast talking about how like he wants his management company and his um, artists to be activists and be involved in causes and stuff. And so I sent one last email and I said, Hey, I heard you on this podcast talking about how <laughs> you think it's important for bands to be activists and support causes. So I just wanted to reach out one last time before I put this book out <laughs> to make sure that you didn't want this band to be the only band not participating in <laughs> oh this. Oh my God, I love and, it. Yeah. And uh, and that worked. Um, so they were they were nice enough to to go to like, and I get it, you know, they, they probably get requests like this all the time and it's a big deal. And I, to and I always explain to the bands that like, I understand, believe me, like I know the value of your songs. I know that it's worth something. I just don't have any money and I'm donating half. I, I think the only reason any of these bands let me use their music is because I'm donating half of the royalties to mental health charities. Some of the people, some of the bands I are, I've known and I've worked with before, but uh, the ones that I didn't, the bigger bands, I think it, it was just like, they saw that, you know, I'm trying to help people out who are going through this shit and I'm giving money to charity from these book sales. So I think that that played a big part in it too. And that's like something that I haven't seen too many like people do who have written like either rock memoirs, anything like that. And I also saw that you were kind of like doing incentivized ways of donation too. like, hey, you can like, you know, buy the book or and like get like a sign or like try to enter to win like signed versions of it, which I thought was pretty cool because I saw you had like the Dangerous Summer. You had Chris Crabba, Dash Barrett Confessional. And I was like, oh, okay. So we really just got everybody on here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, man, it's, it's been such a cool, as hard as the process was, it's been very cool too. Because like Chris Caraba, I, he, he gave me his cell phone number like in 2015 or 14 when I was out on the road with Have Mercy. Um, we all like they played the same music festival and I told him about this charity that I run zero platoon and he gave me his cell phone number. And then whenever I called him or texted him, he never responded. Um, oh. But, uh, <laughs> but this time somehow I, I texted him and he responded and we set up like a zoom and we zoomed and I told him about the book and he was so, he was so cool and very interested in it. And he actually gave me, um, hands down from the so impossible ep because he owns that version and so he let me use that version for free so i wouldn't have to go to universal music mm. um who would have charged me to use it um and then the smoking popes did the same thing they gave me a version of megan that they recorded for their drummer's youtube channel he has like a youtube channel called live at the rock room where he does like live music performances with bands and so they have a new recording from that and he gave me that to use for free. Um, and then the biggest thing is Jimmy worlds. Like I was, their management was so cool through this whole process, trying to help me out. They put me in touch with universal music to get their songs. 
then Universal Music wanted to charge me for their songs. And um, the thing was, the deal I had with all of the bands was that like, you can use these songs for free as long as nobody else is getting paid. So if someone else gets paid, then we have to get paid. And so I was down to the Jimmy Eat World songs and Universal Music was gonna charge me $125 for each Jimmy Eat World song, which is the stupidest bullshit <laughs> because you know that even if the band gets 50% of that, you know, like split between four guys yeah. is nothing. Yeah. And they, you know they don't get 50% of that. So like, that's such a bullshit thing for Universal Music to do, even though I explained to them everything. And so um, Jimmy Eat World announced that they were doing their Phoenix Sessions um, shows on their like live streams. And so I knew they would be re-recording that music live. And so I asked if I could use those versions and they let me use those Phoenix Session versions. Um, and so, so I wouldn't have to pay Universal Music because if I would have paid Universal Music, I would have had to pay everybody and it would have cost me over like $10,000, mm -hmm. which I don't have. And I have not made anything <laughs> close to that from the book. Right. Um, so, um, so yeah, like Jimmy World was super cool about it too. Um, I don't know. It's just been insane. Like um, Lisa Loeb let me use Stay, which is super exciting for me. It's That's like a wild. huge song. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, there's a format song in there. Um, yeah, so I don't know. That 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 was all really cool that I was able to pull that together. Um, some of the guys from Acceptance helped me get their song in it. Yeah, so it, that's, that's one of the things I'm most proud of because, like, this would not exist if not for the punk and emo community coming together, you know, and letting it exist. So that's why I'm so proud of it. And I love that, like, that's what I, that's like a, something I want to get across in the book that like this community and this scene has like kept me alive. And then it literally happened. You know, I watched it happen to make the audiobook come together. So that's, I, I don't know. I'm very happy about all that. It does feel like a lot of those artists would probably be like looking at like, some artists like Bright Eyes and Bayside and that it's like uh, Outcountry too. It's like these are bands where it's like you've probably gone through a lot of similar feelings and things. And like, I'm sure that like there's a certain amount of um, I don't want to say altruism. I don't love that word, but it's like I want to give back to the community that that saved me in the same way by by giving them this book and like the music that did that is so crucial to the end product of it. Uh, and I'm sure that most of the bands probably share that same feeling as well as like, if I can do for somebody else, what music has done for me, that's my entire goal here. No, totally. And that is exactly how I see it because I've, you know, I've had people tell me, I like thank me for writing this book because they were going through it and now they don't feel so ashamed of it or feel so alone with it. And that's exactly how I felt about Bayside. And that's exactly how I felt about the dangerous summer um, and Jimmy World and Death Cab. Like that's, that's exactly what I, I, that's why I put the book out is because I never expected to hear anybody tell me that, but I wanted people to feel that, you know, 
and not feel like ashamed of going through stuff like this or some of the more shameful parts of the book. It feels like more, I mean, we, uh, we've interviewed James from uh, high notes and talked about like uh, the bands that are now being more vocal about their, their struggles with addiction their struggles with most that's, that's mostly an addiction based podcast, but um, just having more artists be vocal and present and, and visible with those struggles. Uh, thinking of like Burt McCracken from the used is like yeah. how he's like sort of trying to reform himself and like, now, when we saw him before the pandemic, we're like, damn, he looks good and he can still sing. And like, he's like really come yeah. out of that, that whole place in his life. And it's like, that I think helps so much more than like the media trying to be like, no, 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 everything's fine. Don't look at that. Like it's fine. Or, or in, in a, in a kind of disgusting way, like people celebrating that, like an artist is like down on their luck and we're like watching them like a TV show, like, yeah. holy shit, they're going <laughs> through this. What what are they going to do next? It's interesting that you mentioned that because I just went to see Bright Eyes um, here in New York a couple weeks ago. And on this tour, I don't know if you guys are fans or like are paying attention to any of this stuff coming out, but like I've seen so many people talk about how fucked up on stage he seems to be mm -hmm. um and there's a and i'm like also part of like a bright eyes fan group on facebook so i've seen like pictures and stuff and people are posting pictures of him on stage and he just looks bad mm -hmm. like he looks you know like like addict bloated like drunk bloated and mm -hmm. kind of just out of it um the bright eyes show i went to here uh even though it was outdoor they didn't check for vaccinations or negative tests and i was like what the fuck is going on this is new <laughs> yeah. york and it wasn't like law to do that yet right. which it's supposed to be in like september um but no one was wearing masks and it was like 100 percent capacity like i just didn't feel comfortable so the whole time there i was like barely paying attention to him so and i was standing in the back hmm. um and wearing two masks and i was like <laughs> nobody else here is wearing a mask what the fuck um and so yeah i didn't pay attention to what he looked like because i was too worried but uh um but yeah no and so like people aren't celebrating it and and i'll see some people stick up for like not stick up but some people come in with the like yeah but it's bright eyes he's like tortured blah 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 but but people are disappointed by it mm. um and so i don't know i mean i guess that's yeah no, it's definitely a good thing that it's not celebrated anymore um because yeah i mean tyler himself is has been sober for um in fact when he started reading this when he started recording the audiobook he was he was starting he had just started getting sober and it, it i felt bad about that because i i was scared that it was gonna like trigger him mm -hmm. um but uh so yeah he's sober now as far as i know still um because yeah he he's been open about his struggles with that stuff too and and yeah no i think it's i think it's great that you know people are doing that and and i don't know maybe it's because we've seen so many like young people you know die from drugs just in the last couple of years you know mm -hmm. like young artists and stuff and so um i don't know i feel like it's 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 more dangerous now too you know you never know what shit is cut with and I don't know what the kids are doing these days, but the rock stars are dying a lot earlier, I think, 
than when they take the wrong shit than they used to. Mm. Yeah, I think there's just so many more instances where we've grown out of the whole like you have to be a tortured soul to produce good content or music or whatever that may be. And I think just especially like I know from my friends personally, um, they really were impacted when Mac Miller died and I was never a big Mac Miller friend, but I had some friends who like really got their shit together from doing like really hard drugs from it because they're like, I don't want to do. And that like was really crazy to me personally because I was like, oh, okay, like I was really upset when Chester Bennington died, but I was like, whoa, Mm. like you were almost like reformatting your entire life by it. I think we we've moved out of a like drugs are cool like kids want like only the cool kids do drugs we met we've like moved over and migrate out of it's like yeah you can do it but you're not gonna be like bullied or looked down on as like a square or something if you don't yeah be involved in that culture yeah and i i mean i don't like i don't know i'm i'm not a rock star and so i don't know how easy it is to do drugs safely anymore but i mean like little peep and juice world and like all these people have died from like fentanyl and like the wrong shit being mixed together and you never know now you know so it's like um yeah you just don't know and so like i don't know if it's safe to um you know a couple years ago i like before covid i wasn't above you know doing some coke at south by southwest or something but like but now you just never know like what's what's there and what's what's in it so i don't i don't know but i've never been like a big like illicit drug user so i don't know if that's like if there are safe maybe the maybe the real illicit drug users know how to do it smart and safely i don't know i was never that invested to figure (laughs) it out (laughs) yeah lizzie and i are real squares and have only drank so we're not (laughs) Yeah, Usually that's I'm where I am like, too. yeah, it sounds fun for you. You you more for you, I guess. Uh but yeah. yeah, it's just been our our different journey on that path. Um yeah, I don't know. I know like uh Maddie Healy from the 1975 has said like I had to quit doing drugs because every time I would go to get drugs from somebody, they'd be like, Aren't you Maddie from the 1975? And he'd be like, I need to, <laughs> I need to like if you get big enough, like uh, I, I think it's either like somebody from your team has to go do it or like all of a sudden you have to like, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these people are surrounded by uh, they want to keep the train moving. So they keep shoveling the coal into the engine and the coal tends to be the thing that's killing the person who's yeah, paying you everything. That's so funny. I'm going to try to tell this story without naming names, sure. but at a South by Southwest, um, a publicist friend of mine which I have many because I'm a music journalist uh, who represented a notable big emo pop punk warp toury band uh, called or text called me maybe because text wouldn't be smart, but I feel like it was a text. <laughs> um, but uh, because I'm from Texas and South by is in Austin and I go to South by Southwest every year um last year was going to be my 11th in a row and then they canceled it because of covid um but this publicist texted me because they had to get weed for their client so you're saying like you get your team to do it um and this <laughs> client who 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 would head the warp tour um i'll say that uh 
this publicist was texting me if I knew somebody who could. <laughs> and and I, I don't think I hooked them up. I've, I don't know. I can't remember if I did or not because I, I definitely like have a lot of comedian friends in Austin who I've hit up for friends for drugs before. Um, but yeah, I don't think I provided that. And then when I interviewed that band, um, they sat at my table and at the press day and then dumped a bunch of weed out on the table and rolled up a joint and said, <laughs> what's up, Mike, let's smoke a joint or let's smoke a J. And I was like, no, that's okay. I can't, I can't, I like, if I smoke weed, I'm just, which I don't ever, I don't do, I haven't done it in, I don't know how long, but I never really did because it just makes me useless. Hmm. Um, so that was never a drug for me, but, uh, yeah, I could not have kept doing my job if I had smoked weed with this musical hero of mine <laughs> but i still got to sit there with them and interview them that was enough for me hey listener guess what we got merch in our store emosocialclub.com slash merch you can check it out now we got some tank tops for the summer uh we got a new new metal logo a new new metal logo go 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 and it's uh it's kind of a 90s new metal vibe that also comes in a tank top and we got a tank top it says sun's out stay inside which you know you're emo you don't go out in the sun it's bright it's hot emosocialclub.com slash store check them out get them all purchases go to help us just make more merch get more cool stuff you're helping us out we're helping you out going off your sleeves going off your arms if you don't want sleeves check it out emosocialclub.com slash store that's always like the big rock star thing where like, I feel like a lot of people would ask us like, oh, hey, have you ever had this like crazy experience? And I'm like, very rarely. And I don't know what, what I would do in that situation if that did happen to me. Like the first band I ever interviewed, I was an undergrad and um, it was in their van at the small suburban show. And I was interviewing them. They're super nice. And one of the guys had a sinus infection and Deadass asked my friend and I, do you have cocaine to help my sinus infection? And I said, I am so sorry, but I do not. And I had no idea what else to do. So I don't know if any other situation nowadays, how I would react back then. I was just like, I don't know. I don't know how I would react now, but. Yeah, that's an odd way to, odd way to put that. Yeah. You could could get Sudafed. Yeah. I was like, you know, Sudafed could be better. You just, need a, you just need a, an ID for that. <laughs> like, I don't get that at all. Uh, I want to, I'm going to change it up a little bit here uh, to get us out of the conversation we're having, but also because I am interested. Um, I have never listened to The Dangerous Summer, and obviously you're a fan because nice. they're featured in the book and uh, you're wearing a t-shirt, so... Seems like and you uh, you know a couple a things and the poster, poster <laughs> yeah. Right there. So I was I was on Spotify and a random song came up and it was called uh, "Fuck Them All," and I was yeah. like, "Oh, I dig this song. Like I I really dig this song." And so now I've been asking people like, "Okay, I feel like I'm gonna like a, the Dangerous Summer, especially like it feels like there's like a genre of like the emo pop punk that like the older you get, the more you identify with it, and like it's not for like younger kids or like younger experiences it's more for like that growing up experience and that adult experience uh 
maybe I'm wrong, but if you no. want to throw out like, how could you get somebody into the dangerous summer? <clears throat> well, here's, here's um, where you're right and wrong about that because uh, you listen to their newer stuff mm. and AJ and I talked to him. I talked to him about this when we talk about the book um, on on Rock Bottom Book Club uh, about how like his early stuff, which are the songs I use in the book, are early Dangerous Summer songs um, from 2010 and like 2000 around 2010 2011. Um, and younger kids would probably like those are the songs for them you know, just like they were for me when I was younger. But AJ has grown up and he's become way more positive. Um, he's like, sees the world differently than he did back then. And so, and this is funny because another friend of mine discovered The Dangerous Summer through this book as well. And I love hearing that because they are my favorite band. He's my favorite songwriter. And I love hearing people discover bands from this book. Someone else told me they discovered Two Door Cinema Club from it, and I love that. Like, I'm so happy about that because that's why I became a music journalist in the first place. Um, so you heard their newer stuff, which is also great, and, and I, I love because they've grown up and I've grown up, and now those songs are more relatable to me. Uh, but someone younger, could get into them by going to the beginning and listening to their early stuff. I felt the same way about Blink-182 when they made uh, the Untitled record. Like, mm -hmm. that's my favorite Blink record because when it came out, I had grown up and grown out of, like, I still listen to the old Blink stuff and love it, but I, had, I wanted something more. And mm -hmm. the Untitled record gave me that. Um, so that was the first time in my life that I realized like, oh, I want bands to grow up with me, you know, and Bayside's done the same thing. Um, and so these are what, these are the, why these bands have stuck with me for, you know, 20 years. Um, I mean, Dangerous Summer, 12 years, but, um, but yeah, so like younger people could get into it by going back to the, by, to the older stuff and they'd probably feel like, you know, it, it more relatable. Although AJ is still a very like, like spirited, exciting, fun, like young dude. Um, I mean, I think he's only like, I don't think he's even 30 um, because he started that band really young. Wow. Um, and so yeah, I mean, he's got a lot of life experience um, that makes him seem more mature to me. But, uh, but yeah, he, he, he is still, I mean, even the new records are still like fun and have like a young spirit to them. But, uh, but yeah, I'd say start at the beginning also because those records are just great. Hmm. Okay. I, I've actually had this conversation quite a bit about like uh, the growing with the bands too. So I'm just really like, I feel like there might be some different bands that are more like you said, Bayside, which is one that I brought up too. And like Alkaline Trio, I think as well rise against like these are bands that just like they grow up and they just keep making music but they keep making the same music because they're not worried about appealing to yeah. necessarily like younger audiences like 
and Lizzie's gonna hate me for this, but I'm like, so Fallout Boy, right? They're like, wow. we're gonna do Mania, <laughs> we're gonna do all this like pop stuff, and then like, oh, we're gonna get like the new kids into it. But meanwhile, like the the people that that grew up with Fallout Boy are like, we just wanted to hear you as yeah. you are now, as opposed to trying to be something for somebody that you're not. Like nobody wants to see like, or, or uh, uh, <laughs> nobody wants to hear you sing about tragedy, right? It's like. The idea that like you're growing up it's like you have kids like you've got families you've got all this stuff but you're still like like it's it i don't know it's like is it clicking are your fans gonna stay with you are they gonna still enjoy the new stuff or is like the i don't know i i i yeah. it's very interesting where music and especially rock music is going now no i know and that's i was so disappointed by blink 182's california mm. um which i i didn't want to be disappointed by it i love matt skiba and i was always a i was always more of a tom blink song mm. fan but still like i still love mark and travis and uh I, I gave it a chance but it felt like several steps backwards mm. and they were such like cookie cutter cliche like pop punk songs that felt so inauthentic yes to like who they were as like 40 year old men with children <laughs> yeah. and wives like it's like yeah. what the fuck are you singing about like <laughs> yeah um and so that was like yeah like that i i haven't really listened to newer fallout boy like i loved or like the first like three records but yeah like the the popular stuff i didn't it just it just and I'm sorry if this is offending you, but uh, no, go um, it just felt I, like I it lacked offender. substance. You know, <laughs> it, it felt like it wasn't even created to have substance. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's I, I mean, just myself as like a, a, a former like lead singer and lyricist and like that's always what I go to, like I look for. Um, and so it just I, I just couldn't hop on with the newer stuff. But yeah, like Blink, I mean, that's such an important band to me and it was super disappointing. And then Nine came out and Nine I felt a little bit better about. Um, but yeah, like I, 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 I want a band to grow up and I'm totally fine with a band changing as they grow up, but it's got to feel like an authentic change, you know, and I did not feel that with Blink. Yeah, there was definitely something... <laughs> Oh my God. I mean, with Blink, I definitely, I did not like the California record either. So I think we're all on that same page. Um, I think the biggest thing is that at a certain point, you kind of like end up selling out more to try to keep relevant into it. And I, you know, oh, as yeah. much as I love Fall Out Boy, they became that stadium household name band. And then that, that's when they began to sell out more. I mean, Pete Wentz does try to put more of like his personal influence into it, but I, I definitely understand people's grievances with it. I'm not upset about it. I'm only jokingly oh, upset yeah. about it to an extent. I get it. <laughs> like, I get it 100%. Like, I saw them at Hella Mega, and somebody's wearing a Mania shirt, and I said, Mania Supremacy, and my friends oh, are like, boy. like, don't be like this right now. I said, I am 100% going to be like this right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just indifferent, really, because, like, I wasn't such a, like, fallout boy diehard to care what they did. Um, in fact, when they broke up and Patrick Stump put that record out, I loved that Patrick Stump mm -hmm. record. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I mean, I, whatever. They're they're like, they they should do what they want to do. They they weren't like a huge band for me. I liked their earlier stuff, but I think I was starting to grow out of like there was a, there was a point where I like 
I like took a pause from pop punk because like I got really into indie like dance stuff like the mm. Hives and Hot Hot yeah. Heat and like the like 2004 2005 I like that was when Fall Out Boy was coming out um like take um yeah do you know when Take This to Your Grave came out? <laughs> Was it 03? 02? 02 or 03. So yeah, like, oh, I, I moved to LA 05 to 07, and that's when I remember listening to a lot of Fall Out Boy, but that's also when all this, like, dancey indie rock was coming into this, the scene, like, really hitting mainstream. And so I got really into that and kind of stepped away. That's why I'm not, like, part of the whole My Chemical Romance world. Like, I, it, I don't hate them. I'm indifferent to them because, like, when they blew up, I was, I had like moved on into this like dancey indie rock world. Hmm. That seems to be the uh, way to go. I'm like, I'm only a few years younger than you, but I'm like, all right, that was my high school time, like my chem. And then as soon as I got to college, like I was really in a panic at the disco because that was that time. And I'm like the weird yeah. kid that's dressing in Victorian clothes. That's not actually <laughs> correct, oh but like I'm wearing like Panic at the Disco and eyeliner, you know, stuff in in college. And it's like cool. This is when I'm training to be an adult, right? Uh, and then like after college, I'm like, think about getting into this new dubstep thing that's been coming. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of how how the 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 emo journey goes. You're like, yeah, you know, I did my time. I really like that band, but now I'm into this this electronic music stuff i guess i feel like if you're old enough the emo journey starts with being a ska kid because i feel like all the ska guess, kids yeah. became emo kids and i was a ska kid at first yeah i was never a ska kid so <laughs> i must be just like well I'm, I'm 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 very interested in all these like generations where it's like yeah the the nostalgia and how it changes for everybody and i'm like yeah well that was that was part of it that i missed because i was never a ska kid <laughs> I think that's one of the benefits, one of the few benefits that, um, which I shouldn't say that because now I, as I've gotten older, I, I've come to love being from where I'm from, but growing up where I grew up in this small town, so cut off from like big cities with music scenes, I think it, it definitely helped me because there wasn't a punk crowd where you just had to listen to punk um, and there wasn't like you know, an emo crowd, there wasn't like, there weren't enough people for there to be separations of like by genre, like all the skaters listen to ska, listen to punk, you know, and then like a couple years down the road, like saves the day and get up kids started creeping in. And so it's just like, we're all in this together because there's only 10 of us. Um, <laughs> and so we like would just introduce music to each other. And I think that helped me like get my you know eclectic taste and i mean even if you look at like the beginnings of warp tour you know it was like i don't know i want to i mean it was all over the place you know there were with like i don't know lint biscuit and you know punk and you know those things would creep in there so uh yeah i mean i think it was just like i don't know anybody with like the attitude for it you know yeah yeah was into it in in your audiobook you did mention very briefly that you were in a ska christian rock band and um i usually don't see all that together in one <laughs> it was huge in in the late 90s early 2000s it was huge like 
that's why my independent Christian ska band was able to tour the country three times because like it got popular enough that I mean there were a lot of Christian ska bands and there were um I mean there was there was one really popular so there were like three that were hugely popular but one called Five Iron Frenzy um like put out songs on a Asian Man Records compilation went out on the ska against racism tour with all just like regular ska bands um and so that was that didn't happen a lot but then like i'm going to furnace fest next month which is mm-hmm. like have you guys seen the lineup for furnace yeah. fest yeah crazy so many of those bands are from the christian rock scene and that's mm-hmm. why like i'm i'm actually meeting up with friends of mine that played in other christian hardcore and christian punk bands 20 years ago when I played in that Christian ska band and we're all going together because we all came from this scene and some of those bands at this festival, you know, are reuniting because of it. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of like, there's a lot of like bands that came from the Christian scene there. I mean, under oath came from the Christian scene. Mm. Um, it's so, yeah, I think if ska hadn't like, I think ska kind of killed itself by being so goofy, but if it hadn't, I think some of those Christian ska bands might have like been like under oath and been able to like transcend that, you know, that label Um, like MXPX. I mean, MXPX came from that. Um, Anne Berlin came from that. Mm. Um, There's a ton of, there's a ton of bands that did. And, um, but I think ska just being kind of so goofy, it just didn't hold on. Um, but it had it, I think some Christian bands would have would have been able to make it out. You can only think of pick it up for Jesus. Oh <laughs> Here at the Emo Social Club, we typically listen to the bops we grew up with. Yet, there's new music out there that you haven't even heard of. We're going down to hang out with some Georgia peaches. The Killikey House to rock out to their upcoming EP, Without Wax, that comes out on Friday the 13th via 59X Records. Pulling inspo from Against Me and the Menzingers, the band creates an emotional atmosphere tethered to relatable lyrics. You can listen to their debut single from Without Wax, Bridge Too Far, now on all streaming platforms. If you're in the Atlanta area later in August, on the 21st, they have a house show benefiting Partner Against Domestic Violence. Ask a punk for more info, and make sure to give the Killikey House a follow and reach out to them on Twitter, FB, and Insta at the Killikey House. That's at the K-I-L-L-A-K-E-E House. I did want to um, ask, like, kind of going back to the book a little bit, because I know we were talking about earlier how this book kind of shows like how it is to kind of get out of you know this very bad depressed and using substances to kind of cope with that depression and mindset something that kind of came up to me was is this this was kind of like a message I feel for a lot of those kids who were like in their teens and they're like I didn't have a plan for me being alive past whatever age it was. And that's become like a weird TikTok dark trending thing, like trend that people do. But I really kind of saw that message in a way come through because I have some friends who were like that too. They're like, I'm just like, 
raw dog in reality right now because I have no idea what's <laughs> going on because they didn't think that they were going to be around to be, you know, in their mid 20s at this point. Yeah, I definitely wasn't like conscious of it because like I mentioned in the book, like I say in the book, like con- contrary to the belief of those who know me, like I want to live. Like I didn't, I've, I've always thought that I'm, that I like have, that I'm talented enough to achieve the dreams that I have if I work at them. Um, I've never like thought I'm talented enough to like achieve the dreams without busting my ass somehow. And which like, I never put that, I never like realized that like, I'm very confident in my, in my talent in certain things, but I'm not so confident that I'm like, yeah, it's going to happen. I'm only confident enough to know that I'll get there if I bust my ass and never stop trying. Um, so I guess that's good. Um, but, uh, so yeah, no, I've always, I've always wanted to keep going consciously. Um, I've always, at least I think I've always like, I, that's another thing I've started to realize in the last year, the more I talk about the book is that like, in the book, I say I'm not suicidal, but I've come to realize that if you're abusing drugs and you're aware that like you could die from it and you don't care, then you're suicidal. Like that's, that's being suicidal, even though whether or not you're trying to kill yourself. Um, and so I, but back then I definitely wasn't like conscious of it. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, I always wanted to keep going because I knew like just like right around the corner I was going to succeed you know um at least that's what I thought but I don't I don't know it's it's this is the great thing I I about the great thing about mental illness is that you can not understand why you think things because your brain's fucking broken you know um and that's (laughs) and that's exactly what it was it's like I can't explain to you how I was okay dying, but also really wanted to live to succeed with the talents I thought I had. That doesn't make any sense, but neither does depression or anxiety. Like you get, you stop breathing. Like you have panic attacks for enough, for no logical reason. Like none of it makes sense. So, but I feel like there, there was never a point in my life where I just wanted to die, you know? Um, Cause I always felt like I was going to do something great and uh, I still do. And, but it's so hard. It's so much work. <laughs> yeah. God. I mean, it's big, <laughs> yeah. like imposter syndrome energy, but also at the very least you have the like will how and acknowledgement that you can do ABCD. If you just keep busting your ass for it, <laughs> which is great I and know. that like you can also reinvent <laughs> yourself and just keep going at it in your 30s because that's another oh, narrative yeah. that's been trying to be pushed so much more recently now that your 20s are for you screwing up in a sense and figuring out what you need to do or your 30s are where you just hit the ground running and you hope you know more hopefully hit your stride and do what you're you know supposed to be doing in a sense yeah now, I just told a, a friend of mine the other day on Facebook, who's the he was the bass player in my second band, and he's still a good friend of mine. Um, and he posted something on Facebook that was kind of like having a kind of quarter life crisis. Um, and uh, but he's done some really cool stuff. I mean, he's he's a great chef and has 
you know, lived in all over the country being a chef. Um, but he was really like questioning things. And I, I, in like saying he felt like he made mistakes going after that. And I, I told him that like, I mean, he's probably at least four, I think he's probably four years younger than me. Um, but I, I told him that it's like, they're only mistakes if you don't learn from them, you know? And I've done so many different things with my life and I'll probably do a million more. And I don't feel at all close, even close to so old that I can't do 20 more things with my life, you know? Um, I mean, I just had a kid. My wife and I had a kid three <laughs> yeah. months ago. And like, I mean, it, it's amazing. Like I, I love... I love being a father and I love playing with this kid and she's so cool and so cute. And like, I, I mean, we both wanted kids, but we weren't planning on it anytime soon, but we're both extremely happy it happened because we don't know if we ever would have planned on it. Um, but it's like, now I'm a dad and like, I don't know, like I produce and direct commercials in New York city. And I'm from a, I grew up in a town of 25,000 people um, with one high school, you know, like I, it's, it's just crazy. Like I, I won that Emmy back there for digital as a digital producer, producing digital media content for a TV show. I didn't have the internet until I was like <laughs> 16. And that was like the AOL CDs, yeah. you know, <laughs> yep. like the internet didn't exist when I was a kid. And I won an Emmy for doing things on the internet. Like I couldn't even dream of doing that because it didn't exist yet when I was a kid. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, we don't even know what's going to happen next. Like who knows? Maybe the thing that makes me a millionaire is not even invented yet, you know? So like, it's crazy, but like, that's why you got to stay alive. That's why you can't kill yourself because maybe the thing that's going to make you the happiest and not that that would be being a millionaire, although that would help. Um, maybe the thing that will make you the most fulfilled doesn't even exist yet. It hasn't landed <laughs> on your radar, you know, even if it does exist, because that's, that's, I mean, I moved to LA in 2005 when I was 22 to be an actor. I didn't really want to be an actor. Turned out I was, a, I started writing scripts there. And like, now I'm a writer, you know, like who the fuck knows what's going to happen. But like, <laughs> that's why you stay alive. So you can see the cool things that are going to happen. It's just one big surprise the entire time. And you have to just stick around <laughs> to find out what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even though I like have always been, I've been writing music journalism for 15 years um, and writing scripts. I never in my life wanted to write a book ever. And now that's like the most accomplished <laughs> thing that I've done in the last five years, really. Um, so yeah, um, I always one of the my biggest dreams is to be it was was and I'd still love to do it was to be a music supervisor for TV shows and movies and like pick the songs that go in TV shows. Um, and I, I got an internship to do, to work with that at Warner Music, but then I got, I also got my internship at Comedy Central and I chose to go to Comedy Central. Uh, but then I'd made this audiobook and I just basically music supervised an audiobook and put music into that like I would a TV show. Yeah. You think 
15 years ago, I thought <laughs> that like, oh, I could just do this myself on an audiobook. No, like, it's like, I got to go to, I know Chris Caraba's address. Like, <laughs> I got to go to his house. I got to go to his house so he could autograph posters of my book and autograph <laughs> copies of my book. Like to to raffle off, like to raffle off, like these are heroes, like ants. And then as soon as I left his house, I drove over to Anthony from Bayside's house <laughs> for the same reason. It's like this is insane to me. Um, but like I don't know. It, this is what I'm saying. It's like I can't believe there was a point in my life where I was okay dying. You know, I like all these cool things of have happened and it's just because like i worked at making them happen but but yeah i mean i feel like any if i can do it coming from you know a poor kid in a shitty little town in south texas i feel like anybody can do it because it just i mean anybody willing to bust your ass because it was a lot of hard work <laughs> uh well i love the positive note too to kind of wrap it up on we are uh, a little over an hour but i i want to give you a chance to shout out where everybody can find you on the internet where everybody can find the book uh where the best place is for people to go get it uh obviously the the money is primarily going to donations i believe you said so yeah um yeah so, the best way so 50 yeah uh so i don't care about the charts anymore on amazon for the first like year that was good to like rank on there because it helped with like press and you know people um like the bands being part of it and stuff so you can go buy it on amazon that's still cool for me um and uh the audiobook is only on audible and apple books so you can find it there um you can go to my website aburgerjoint.com a-b-e-r-g-e-r-j-o-i-n-t um and you can buy the book there. I'll, I'll personalize it. I'll sign it. I'll send it to you. I got stickers there, um, posters. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of merch there you can get. But also, you should go to a burgerjoint.com and sign up on my email list because if you're going to Furnace Fest or not, uh, I'm starting to do book events. So I'm going to do Ooh. one in Nashville in September. And um, before COVID happened, AJ from the Dangerous Summer and I were planning on going out on a book tour together and he was gonna play some acoustic songs and I was gonna read some of the book, um, but then we couldn't do that. So I'm working on doing some events with him. Um, it's not confirmed yet, but, uh, hope, but very close to confirmed Nashville in September, right before Furnace Fest. And then I'm doing something in Birmingham, Alabama during Furnace Fest which I can't talk about completely, but <laughs> there's a lot of great bands at Furnace Fest that come from this, this scene in this book. And I'm not saying they're going to be at my event because I don't have them confirmed yet, but <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm work. Look at, look, this whole thing, this whole hour, we've been talking about how much I bust my ass to make my dreams come true. Yeah. And, to, and here we are. And, I'm, and oh, in the last couple of months, I've said, a bunch of times i'm not delusional i'm just ambitious mm -hmm. so um like i i had a friend of mine uh submit my book for a grammy award in the spoken in the spoken word um yeah oh category wow. um 
And like a lot of people would think like I'm crazy and delusional, but I also have a fucking Emmy. So <laughs> so they have to consider delusional. You gotta ask. Yeah. yeah. Same yeah. asking thing, um, like consider me. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, go to burgerjoint.com, sign up on the email list because that's how you'll find out everything. Or you can follow me and you can follow me because the email list is the way to go. Uh, Instagram, Mikey Lee Rock and a burger joint. Um, that's where I post everything because tired of uh, just giving people shit for free. You gotta, you gotta follow me. Like I, mm. I can't go out of my way to get my information to you guys. It's so hard. There's so much. And yeah, just I. It's hard enough to just post on two different Instagrams, man. Just help me out. Yep. Follow them. <laughs> Tell me about it. Follow them both. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So that's it. Instagram's the best. I I post there a lot in email. Sick. All right. Well, we want everyone to go and do that. Again, it's it's primarily uh, donation and giveaway based for when you you purchase the book. So please go do that and listen to the audio book, which is the the Great. way to listen to it the correct way to it really hear is it. Uh, so and i'll tell you this sorry i forgot one thing because oh, i just started doing this i just ordered like a hundred books so i have like a hundred <laughs> books here at home um but it's because like a couple bookstores are going to start carrying it like little ind indies all over the country Ooh. um but also what i'm going to do on my website um is if you order a book a paperback book on the website i'm going to give you a link to get the audiobook for free so um you'll get both of them so you get a two go to my website yeah yeah and even if you yeah i'll, I'll put it up there i haven't put it up there yet but i'm gonna i'm gonna do that very soon i'll do it tomorrow <laughs> uh, but uh anybody who buys the book after today i'll, I'll do that for so um yeah so go to my website and buy the book there because I I uh, am working on some cool things and I need money to make those cool <laughs> things happen. Absolutely. And then the 50% of those sales go to mental health charities. Um, so you'll be helping out with that too. Love it. Love go it. get it. Million books sold by... A million books sold. By a week from now. <laughs> Run the this, Audible it, app up yeah, with the book. Run that Audible <laughs> up. Uh, well, Mike, this was fantastic uh this is such a cool no, conversation thank you guys and for having yeah. me i know we could have gone on for another hour so <laughs> i'm yeah. like yeah this is just like so much cool stuff and uh, uh yeah, really I appreciate ramble. your time no it's 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 honestly like so much easier to talk to somebody who like wants to talk you know sometimes it's like oh you have all these cool stories you talk please tell me all these cool stories because these are awesome well this is perfect timing because i haven't done a podcast i mean i did one yesterday but before that one i hadn't done one for like in like months so um so yeah i i needed i i needed it yeah well, we appreciate having you <laughs> I missed on it. i miss talking i miss talking to, to people um in words that are other other than like goo goo <laughs> true <laughs> true uh well yeah. I, won't, I won't annoy you with the actual noises i make with my daughter but i realized the other day that for like half an hour i was just making a noise like my my in-laws have been here helping us out and they were mm -hmm. like sitting on the couch and my wife was over there but for half an hour, I was just lost on my daughter making the most annoying noises <laughs> to like entertain her just because mm -hmm. she would smile. And then I was like, oh, there are other adults here who are probably getting annoyed by this. But it doesn't matter to me. Yes. I mean, she got the cutest smile. So. If, if, if the baby's in the room, like whatever it is, you have to do it. If that baby also came up to you and just was like, you're a princess, you just accept it. Yeah, That's what it is. Accept. It's just the rules. Yeah. Just go with I it. I can't wait. They are the uh, ruler. It. That's it. Uh. I love it so yeah. much. Uh, well, Mike, thank you again 
so much. This is awesome. Yeah, uh, thank you guys. Rock bottom at the Renaissance is the book. Go get it. Go follow. And uh, appreciate you for being on. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much, guys, for tuning in this week. This is one of our bonus episodes, so make sure to head on over to emosocialclub.tv tonight, Thursday, August 26th, for our chat with the band Telethon. And if you haven't checked out their new LP that's out, you're missing out and you're making a big mistake. So make sure to just check out Spicy Takes over on our YouTube. Subscribe, comment, all the good stuff, and also make sure to leave a five-star review. Don't leave any bad reviews. It's not really good. It's not great. Um, not chill at all. Do not go and do that. Um, other than that, my brain is fried. It's going burr. So we're just going to check you later. From the Emo Social Club podcast, I have been Lizzie. Brian is also having scrambled brains in his head at his home. And goodbye. Goodbye.